are entering a new age, an age demanding greater collaboration, enhanced creativity, heightened agility. Welcome to Agile and Beyond, a podcast for agile enthusiasts, design thinkers, team builders, and organization designers. With practitioners and thinkers, we explore the future of work, the evolutions in leadership mindset, and the revolutions in the human-centered innovation around experience and purpose. In episode one of a four-part conversation with Erica Lenz, scrum master and former poet, evolutionary biologist, and tutor, we discuss Amy C. Edmondson's term psychological safety, the need for logical explanations when dealing with engineers and the C-suite, employing an intuitive approach to team building, apolitical engineers, difficulties encountered by first-time scrum masters, the primacy of trust in social situations, overcoming rejection, Jane Goodall and primatology, superorganisms and E.O. Wilson, interpreting body language and the risk in overprojecting, the benefits of honesty, the kinesthetic experience of working on well-functioning teams, and the skills learned through tutoring. So I met uh, so I met Erica through uh, the Agile Denver Scrum Master Guild, and on one of our first conversations was based on a an article, which I shared with the group uh, on psychological safety, some of the mm-hmm. lessons that uh, the Harvard Business School researcher and teacher uh, Amy Edmondson had discovered in her studies. Uh, of of the working and the building of teams at uh, Google. Yes, yeah. I was really interested in that article, mostly because it um, looked like it would give me good concrete ammunition for conversations about psychological safety. So I appreciated you sharing that. Well, I'm 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 happy that you that you like that. Do you know the the interesting thing about this? I have it. My my mother was the one that shared that that article. With oh, me. really? Yeah, she's like become very yeah. influential uh, without uh, without having met anybody here in Denver nice. with that article. Yeah. <laughs> so, what you said that it gave you ammunition. What what in what way did that uh, did that article or that idea of safety? give you ammunition so I come at working as a scrum master in I think a somewhat unusual way in that I'm the the way I work with people is largely based on intuition Um, I work from my gut a lot of the time and my heart a lot of the time and that can make it difficult to talk about things that I know. So to have a nice, tidy, concrete piece of research with the Google name attached to it and Harvard Business Review attached to it um, means that I can take that and say, here's an example of how this works, and here are these touchy-feely words like group norms and psychological safety um, rooted in some... 
um, valid research uh, that you can then take to, say, the C-suite folks and talk about um, the bottom line. Um, but for me, I, I just need tools to talk about these things that I know kind of intuitively. And this universe that I feel my way through when it comes to team building. Um, it also gives me something to talk directly to the teams about, to say, okay, we're going to do this touchy-feely exercise where we talk about our feelings, and here are the concrete benefits you can expect from this. And working with software developers, you really do need to have a good, solid, logical explanation of why you are doing something, um, or they feel kind of manipulated. So I like having those kind of concrete tools to play with. Interesting. So, so it's a difference in the, 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 tech, the technical people, the software engineers, they, it's because they, they have a very analytical mindset and they're, they're highly, they're distrustful or skeptical of thing, of disciplines that can't be analyzed and quantified. Is that what that is about? I think that's a, some of it. Um, so I, one of the first software development managers I worked with liked to talk about her software development team as being populated with people who had no guile. And by that, what she meant is that uh, software developers in general tell you what they think um, you know how they're feeling at any given moment. They are not trying to play politics. They tend to despise politics. Um, and you know where you stand with them at any given moment. And she appreciated that, and I appreciate it as well. It means that sometimes you are going to have difficult discussions right there in the room, but coming from the background that I come from of being raised by a psychotherapist and um, talking about feelings all the time around the dinner table, uh, I feel right at home with people who are direct and honest and um, transparent by nature. Now, that's not true for everybody, but I would say by far the, the bulk of software developers fall into that category. So I think if you're coming to them with some sort of technique that you're asking them to engage in, and in particular if you're asking them to take some sort of psychological or emotional risk around it, um, they will tell you if that feels uncomfortable. And, and I think you need to be ready to take care of them and say, here's here's why I'm asking you to do this and here's here's what I'm hoping to get out of it and I think it will benefit you in this way. I think if you come to them and, and just say you need to do this and shake your finger at them <laughs> or you pressure them, you can pretty much predict that there will be a negative result. And I do see this a lot um, in new scrum masters who are coming in. They They fall in love with the principles, they fall in love with the structure of Agile, they drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and they're super enthusiastic about uh, transforming teams of people. 
but they forget that they need to explain the why behind it. And um, I think they end up struggling with their teams more than having a conversation with them. So when you, when you start with a new team, what, what is the most important thing or what are some of the key things that you want to accomplish in those first couple of days or that first week in, estab- in establishing the relationship with, with them as a group and with them as, as individuals? So, like any social situation, the first thing you have to do is establish trust. And if the team has been working together already, they already have some measure of trust between themselves. It may or may not be a high-functioning team, but they know how they work together, and they know how they are currently communicating with each other. So I think if you're going to be the new person in the room, um, you need to watch and wait until you're invited into the circle. So I do a lot of observation, starting with a new team, and ask a lot of questions. And I also anticipate that I will be rejected at some point and that I will need to overcome that. Um, In fact, I'm experiencing that right now. I've started with a new team that um, is brand new to Agile. They have been working together effectively for years and they are expressing interest in Agile because the rest of the company is Agile. Uh, They're also getting a little bit of soft pressure from the org at large for them to be more integrated with how the teams are working at a scaled level. Um, But the way they've been functioning is that the team lead has been carrying a huge burden in terms of planning. So anybody who's worked as a waterfall project manager understands the kind of burden I'm talking about, where you're tracking all of the details and you're organizing all of the things and um, and trying to protect the team from what seems like a, a flood of requirements and um, priorities that you need to balance. So he's very overburdened and... Um, And I was introduced to the team as the new scrum master, and they don't really know what that means yet. They don't understand the role because they haven't had that training. So first thing that happened is, after a warm welcome, is that he um, went through back channels and said, she's trying to um, take over too much. And all I had done was offer to um, help him administer some meetings in Outlook. So that, that kind of reaction is normal and to be expected. So uh, because he has been putting his heart and soul into taking care of the team. So I'm an outsider. And so I, we sat down and talked about it. That actually was the impetus for a very useful conversation. And um, 
it allowed me to get a better understanding of how they work and what their expectations are and what expectations have been given to them about the kind of work that they do. And now, um, now I have a toe in the door and I'm invited to sit in to the meetings and I've been invited to talk with each of the team members for 15 minutes and no more about the work that they do. And those 15 minute conversations will blossom into longer conversations because they will learn slowly over time that they can trust me. And then I will have enough leverage that I can teach them about Agile. <laughs> but not until then. Wow, that's, uh, I feel like such a, a novice listening to you here. Uh, from my, well, my experience probably entering in how I would have entered these things in the past, although I'm learning a lot from the Agile community here, mm. uh, I would have probably tended to focus. I was trained as an engineer, mm. so I would have focused on tasks and doing things and accomplishing things, and I would have not spent very much time on worrying about thing, matters of gaining trust and things of this nature. And it's, it's interesting. The way you describe this, I feel like I'm watching the Discovery Channel here <laughs> where, with, the, uh, um, with a Jane, what Jane Goodall, who, where she's watching yeah. the apes and she'll observe them and then she'll take a step forward and then this sort of thing. Is, is, am, I, am I catching something? Is, yeah, well, is there a similarity in some way? She's one of my heroes. So um, I love that you have connected us in that way. Um, yes, I think there is, I do think about it that way. And I, as we've spoken about before, I have a, a background in um, evolutionary biology and ecology and specifically animal behavior. That was my favorite part of it, was studying how animals of various sizes uh, behave. So I studied primates for a little while. I also studied ants. Interesting. Um, was so it E.W. What E.O. E. Wilson? E.O. Wilson, e. Wilson is the big ant guy. Yeah. yeah. And so that combined with being raised by a psychotherapist <laughs> <laughs> who is an excellent diagnostician and can spot a person personality disorder from a mile away um, it, it means that I observe people in a very particular sort of way. I mean, I can engage in the flow of human interaction like everybody else does, but uh, I also have this ability to step back and take a broader perspective and just study body language and tone of voice and power plays that people make. Um, and I'm learning over time. I would not say I'm an expert at this, but I'm learning over time how to interpret some of these things. And I think more importantly, how to stop projecting my own interpretations onto them, to just take things at face value and take notes about it and then see what sort of meaning emerges out of it. Um, because when you're, when you're someone like me who has a kind of intuitive feel for people, you're right about 80% of the time, but 
20% of the time you are misreading the situation. You will see something that you, someone will be standing with their arms crossed and you will, if you're not watching yourself, you'll um, interpret that as them being angry. But what may be true is that they're doing that because their back hurts. Mm. And it's a way of getting the muscles in their back to relax. So it's good to note the behavior if it seems significant, but then to let it have its own meaning. So that's a reminder to me to actually ask somebody, hey, I I noticed that your arms were crossed and it made me wonder if you were uncomfortable in that situation. But I wanted to check out whether or not that was true. How was that meeting for you? And that opens up the floodgates more often than not. Or if someone's back hurts, they'll say, oh, yeah, my back, I injured my back last week, and um, that just helps it feel better. And then then you move on. Then it's not an issue. But sometimes they'll say, yeah, I, I was really wondering about that topic of discussion, and I didn't feel quite comfortable bringing up what I was thinking. And, and then you're off and running and um, can start addressing whatever issues there are there. Interesting. What values that are just prescribed in Scrum resonate most with your own personal values and, and experience? Top of the list is honesty, being courage and focus and commitment and um, all of those sorts of values that come with Agile are important, but I think if you can provide an environment in which people can be who they are and say what they think and be valued for doing so, um, that frees people up to do the work. If people are having to invest psychological energy into figuring out what they should say, um, you're draining away energy from the team to be able to create something awesome, Um, to be able to problem solve and um, have debate around what the best way to build something is or to uh, reorganize because the company has had to pivot and they need to create something new really fast. Um, You don't want to have that overhead of uh, people trying to figure out what they should say because this particular person's in the room or because that person will um, be dismissive, uh, that sort of thing. So, so does when you said honesty, I guess that would also that would is that similar to transparency or visibility? Are those? is They're that the related, same thing or related? Um, but I think of transparency as um, being more about letting the organization at large see what a team is doing, um, and vice versa. So transparency is about um, those visible artifacts, burned down charts, or backlogs, um, or other sorts of representations of metrics that anybody can look at at any time and understand where the team is and um, perhaps what kind of dependencies there are, um, what the impact of the work slowing down might be, that sort of thing. And that is important from a systemic view. 
Um, everybody needs to be able to see into everybody's business all the time <laughs> um, when it comes to the work. Mm-hmm. Um, because if a team goes off in a closet somewhere and is working or not working, um, there may be very real consequences that could be catastrophic. So that's why transparency is important. Um, and honesty is certainly the um, sister of transparency. Um, but I think of honesty as being more important interpersonally on a team um, in terms of creating safety and um, enabling the kind of um, conversations that need to happen in order to produce quality software. You need people to bring up when they have a concern. And if you want to tap into the collective intelligence of the team, you need everybody to be speaking up and you need um, to have some diverging opinions. Uh, or you get into groupthink, um, and perhaps groupthink led by one person who is by definition fallible because they're human. Mm-hmm. So we really do want to, cl- we, we, we want to get that that kind of thrumming energy that happens when people are truly working collaboratively. Um, and it's, it, this is so, sorry, I'm thinking of ants right now. Um, That's fine. <laughs> what, what, but, what do you think is, will the story about ants illustrate this, uh, what you're trying to say? Well, you mentioned EO Wilson mm-hmm. who talked about, um, ants. He's the first one who coined the term, um, superorganism to describe an ant colony. And so in a colony you have all these different roles that individual ants play. And an ant has about 200 neurons in its brain um, compared to the millions that we have. So not a lot of processing power. But when they work together collectively, they can do amazing things. They can transform landscapes. Um, so those are ants, they're not humans. Um, but, but the idea of an individual 200 neurons being able to be part of a much larger processing system that can accomplish great goals, it's, it's a nice metaphor for what can happen on a team. You have a lot more complexity when you're dealing with humans, but, um, but there, there's a, there's a feeling, there's a palpable kinesthetic experience, at least it is for me, that, that you have when a team is working collaboratively, that once you've felt it, you don't want to do anything else. And um, that is definitely part of what has attracted me to Agile, because just reading it, having had that experience prior to, to encountering Agile, just reading the manifesto and working through the principles and and looking at the scrum guide it is obvious it is utterly evident that that is one way and a a tried and true way to encourage a team towards that place of true collaboration Um, it takes time and it takes effort but it's the right formula and i'm excited about that that's great. Okay. So what, what aspects of your background 
do you draw from most in your in your agile scrum practice? So I have spent a lot of time in my career exploring a lot of different options. And um, I studied literature. I studied poetry and was a published poet. Uh, worked as a magazine editor. Worked as a pro- software project manager. Uh, did some marketing. Did some web design. Went back to school to study ecology and evolutionary biology with a big dose of psychology in there. Um, and throughout that whole time, um, I've run a lot of project teams of various sorts. Um, that said, I think one of the things that I call on more often than not is my experience when I went back to school to study biology, specifically anatomy and physiology, of tutoring um, women who wanted to become nurses. They were almost exclusively women. I know there are male nurses, but um, they were women in their 20s who had several children and wanted to create a better life for their families. And so I had to learn to sit across the table from people who didn't know how to study and help them learn pretty complex biological concepts. And what I learned more than anything is that you start with what the learner brings. You start where they are and you lay down uh, stepping stones for them to get where you need to uh, lead them to. And I use that concept on a daily basis with my teams. You start with where they are and help them to the next step. And you can't pull them any faster than they are ready to move. So, well, literature teaches you about people and biology teaches you about animal behavior. Um, I think there's the best learning I've had is about sitting across the table from a person and figuring out where they are and what they need. Wow. Well, thank you. I think that was wonderful. This completes episode one of a four-part conversation with Erica Lenz. In the next episode, we cover natural collaboration, crazy monkeys, rewiring enterprises, patterns and anti-patterns, artful redirection, balancing people and processes, collective collaborative thinking, surfacing problems, and more. You can connect with Erica, that's with a K, Lenz, L-E-N-Z, on LinkedIn. Listening to Agile and Beyond. Visit agileandbeyond.co and subscribe on iTunes. Until next time, keep evolving.